everybody. Good morning and welcome to Christ Community Chapel. Uh, thanks for coming. I'm so glad that you are here. Welcome those of you who are worshiping over at East Hall or those of you who are tuning in. Uh, welcome. Before we start, I want to give a shout out to our deacons. Uh, they have been serving us communion each week for this series. And that means they have to get here early to prepare it and they have to be here at all the services in order to serve us. And I just want to tell uh, those men how thankful we are and how great it's been to be able to take communion each week these last five weeks. So thanks. All right. Uh, we are on the home stretch of our series on the book of Hebrews. This is our sixth week. Hebrews is this great connector between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it's really, really important because sometimes it's easy to think of the Old Testament as one story and the New Testament as another story. And Hebrews reminds us, Hebrews shows us that there's only one story, and that one story is about Jesus. And the way Hebrews does that is it compares Jesus to other things and other people and shows how Jesus is greater than anything and anyone. But when it does that, it's not just showing us that Jesus is greater than the prophets. It's also showing us that the prophets point to Jesus. Not just showing us that Jesus is greater than angels, but that angels point to Jesus. That Moses points to Jesus. That the high priest points to Jesus. That everything points to Jesus. His life, death, and resurrection. And what that means is if you are here and you are not yet a Christian... You might have all kinds of issues with Christianity, and I get that. Uh, not the least of which might be Christians or might be preachers, for all I know. Right? But I'll, I want to encourage you to look at Jesus, to determine who he is. Look at his life, death, and resurrection, because he is the only point to the only story that really matters. And once you figure out who Jesus is and what he has done— Everything else will fall into place. All right? All right, this week we are looking at how Jesus is greater than any sacrifice. How Jesus is greater than any sacrifice. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 9. If you do not have a Bible, we would love to give you your first Bible. So if you don't have a Bible and you'd like one, you can come up after the service, either here in the sanctuary or over in East Hall. You can drop by the New Here tent. They will have them there for you. If you're over in East Hall, it might be easier if you download our app on your phone because I know it's dark over there. And so then you can read along with us. If you don't have a Bible with you, it's going to come up on the screen. I'm going to read uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through 14. This is what it says. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. This is God's word. 
We're going to stay with the same template that we have been using for these messages. Uh, My first point is why a sacrifice is great. My second point is why Jesus is greater. And my third point is why that's great news. Why a sacrifice is great, why Jesus is greater, why that's great news. The passage I just read refers to something we talked about last week. It talks about a high priest going into a tent. That word tent is also the word tabernacle in other versions. The tabernacle in the Old Testament was a place of worship. It's where people encountered the presence of God. But it wasn't like this place of worship uh, where everybody gathers in to worship like we do. Uh, The tabernacle was actually quite small and the people stayed on the outside of the tabernacle. They did not go in. And these verses that I just read really were talking about a single day called Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Your Jewish friends just celebrated Yom Kippur this past Wednesday. And this is what would happen in Yom Kippur. The high priest would go in to encounter the presence of God. And back in the Old Testament, you didn't go willy-nilly into worship, not even the high priest. The high priest, in order to encounter God, he had to go by three different altars. The first altar that he would go by in the tabernacle was the altar of burnt offering. Then he would go by the altar of incense. And then he would have this thick curtain and he'd have to go through the curtain and he would face the Ark of the Covenant, which had a a big thick slab of gold on top. And right in the middle, there would be what was called the mercy seat. And once a year, the high priest would enter all the way in. It was only one time a year that he would actually get all the way into the mercy seat. And when he would go in, he would have a rope tied around his ankle in case something went horribly wrong and they had to pull his body out. And he would go through that curtain and he would have a basin of blood from a sacrifice. He would never go past that curtain without a basin of blood from a sacrifice. And he would approach the mercy seat and he would pour the blood on the mercy seat and then he would back his way out. And when he emerged from the tabernacle, the people who were gathered around would just explode with joy because it meant that God had received and accepted their sacrifice and their sins were covered. So that's what would happen on Yom Kippur and that's the way it happened. Now my question is this, why? Why? I mean, I know I have an outline and I'm going to talk about why a sacrifice is great, why Jesus is greater, why that's great news. But before I get to why a sacrifice is great, we need to ask the question, why a sacrifice? Why all this talk about the blood of of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer? Uh, That's a a cow for you city folk. At least I think it is. (laughs) But why does it seem so primitive, so bloody? Right? Why a sacrifice? All right. I got married when I was 21 years old which is uh, pretty young. And it was, uh, I was also raised with two brothers and no sisters. And that means that I was, <laughs> I was relationally kind of uh, developing where uh, I didn't really know much about uh, a real relationship. My idea of relationship was a little Neanderthalish. So when I got married, there was a lot to learn. And one of the things that I had to learn was how to apologize. And it sounds simple, but apologizing is a little more complicated than I thought it was. 
And uh, there's actually different levels of apology you have to offer depending on how much you mess up. And if you are relationally challenged, like I was, this is going to be gold. So listen up, right? Uh, I go by the three R's. And there are more levels than this, but these are enough for my point, right? If, if you do something that's not so bad, if let's say you forget to get the milk that you were supposed to get on the way home, uh, then you just need the first R. And the first R is regret. You just have to say, I'm sorry. Like you come home, you go, oh, man, I was supposed to get milk. <clears throat> I'm sorry. You're, you're probably good. Now, if you mess up at a deeper level, if you start the fight that lasts for two hours and you want to end the two-hour fight, you need a second R, right? You can't just go regret. I'm sorry. You also have to take the second R, which is responsibility, and say it's my fault. So you say, I'm sorry, my fault, my bad, right? And those two R's might be good enough to solve that right there. But if you really mess up, if let's say you forget your 25th anniversary, then you're going to need a third R, right? The first R, regret, I'm sorry. The second R, responsibility, my fault. The third R, restitution, what can I do to make this right? What can I do to make this better? It's gold, I tell you. (laughs) Write it down. This is the problem, though, that I found, is that uh, you can't decide when you are doing restitution what you're supposed to do. Like, I can't say to my wife, like, if I forget my 25th anniversary, and I go, oh, man, our anniversary was yesterday. I'm sorry. My fault. Tell you what, I'll bring you flowers tomorrow, and that'll make a square. What's for dinner? Right? That's not going to go over. She's the one who has to decide the emotional distance. She's the one who decides the severity of the problem. Here's the question. How serious is your problem with God? How serious is your problem with God? How do you decide? Who decides? How do you make it right? How does anyone make it right with God? And the answer is blood. Blood. Look at verses 13 and 14. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So why blood? Uh, Two reasons. Brokenness and healing. Brokenness and healing. One of the things that blood does is it shows brokenness. That's what it does with our bodies. I was leaving a building uh, last week, and I was taking the stairs, as is my habit. And as I started to open the door to go down the stairs, I saw that there was blood on the door. It was streaked. It was dried. But it was like somebody's hand was bleeding, and they swiped it across the door. And as I opened the door, I started to look to see if there was more blood because if there was a lot of blood, it meant that the person was in serious trouble who had opened that door. Because blood shows how serious the problem is. Blood shows how deeply broken someone is. The first reason that God uses blood when he talks about restoring a relationship with him is he's trying to communicate to you and to me and to the whole world, how serious our problem is, how deep our brokenness is. 
He's trying to make sure that you know that the the problem with the world, the deep problem with our world, the deep brokenness is not going to be healed by education. It's not going to be healed with politics. It's not going to be healed with social action or with therapy. As good as those things are, that is not going to heal the deepest wound in your soul and the deepest brokenness of our world. So, The first thing that blood does is it shows us the seriousness of the problem and the depth of the brokenness. But the second thing that blood does is it also shows us the secret to healing. There's nothing in your body that heals at a deeper level than blood, which is why we have blood drives, why we have blood banks, why when I was an athlete, whenever I'd get hurt, I would go to the trainer and I would say, what do I do? And the trainer would say, put ice on it. And if I asked the trainer, why ice? He would say, because of blood. Because blood can do stuff that's almost magical in the way that it can heal someone deep down. If you've ever had a relationship with somebody that is broken and you long to restore that relationship and you go to them and you say, I'm sorry, it's my fault. What can I do? And they look at you and they say, I don't know. I don't know what you can do. It's a terrible thing because you know there will no there will never be restoration if you cannot come up with how to heal that relationship. Right? Sacrifice is great. It's an amazing thing that God cares enough about you, cares enough about me to show us the seriousness of the problem but also give us a way to be healed from that distance, from that emotional distance from him. But as great as a sacrifice is, there are a couple of problems with a sacrifice like Yom Kippur, like the Day of Atonement. And the two problems with a Day of Atonement is that it's limited and it can be misleading. And this is what I mean. It's limited because when you read this, and if you remember last week, uh, only the high priest would get close to God. Everyone else had to stay outside. It was only the high priest. And only once per year could he actually go past that curtain and enter the very presence of God. And then when he would come out, the people would rejoice because their sins were covered. But it was only for that moment. And then as they went throughout their day and their week and their month and their year, they could feel themselves growing distant again, violating again, sinning again, getting stained again. So all the sacrifices were limited in the way that they could heal. But the other thing is that it was misleading, or it could be misleading, and this is what I mean by that. If I was in the Old Testament and I was going to make a sacrifice, I would bring a sheep or a goat that I owned, or at least that I felt like I owned. And I say that because um, when, uh, when my kids were teenagers, every once in a while I'd want to remind them that they didn't own anything. They thought they, they owned stuff. But I would remind them, listen, you are squatters in my house, in my world. Right? You, you don't own anything. Your room is not your room. It's my room. Your clothes fit you, but they belong to me. Because I felt like it was important, because when somebody thinks they're an owner and they're not, it does something to them that is not very good. Right? So I wanted to, I was protecting my teenagers from feeling like that. But that's what you and I are with God, right? I mean, it's so easy to feel like we own stuff. 
which is why when you give an offering, even here at this church, you, you feel magnanimous because you feel like you're taking your money and you're giving it to God. And we forget that we are all of us squatters with God. We are, we are squatting in his world, in his house. And so it's easy to, so when you bring a sheep and you think that it's your sheep for a sacrifice, the misleading thing is that you can, it can feel like a payment that you are making. And a payment does something different than grace. And a payment impacts your soul in a different way than grace. So a sacrifice is great. To know to have God tell us the extent of our brokenness, the depth of our problem, great. To give us a, a possibility, an understanding of what a sacrifice can do is wonderful. But it's limited and it can be misleading. So we need something greater. And that brings me to the second point, why Jesus is greater. When I was, uh, this past week, when I was reading my Hebrews Together devotional, I was uh, moving ahead a little bit, and I read this in chapter 10, uh, verses 19 and 20. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And when I read that, I thought, wow. For a first century Jew, that must have just blown their minds. Because what the only idea they had about going past the curtain to the very holy of holies where the presence of God was, was from Yom Kippur. Where the high priest, and only the high priest, would walk in and he would have a rope tied around his ankle in case something went horribly wrong and they could pull his body out. And he would go past the curtain with a basin of blood trembling, pouring the blood on the mercy seat, and then backing away. That was their mindset. And here, this verse says that a normal person, a normal person like you, like me, can go shooting right past the curtain. And we can draw near with confidence, with boldness, right to the very presence of God. And we can do it because of the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. And so I have my same question. Why? Why does the blood of Jesus give us that kind of confidence, that kind of boldness? Why did Jesus need to shed his blood? And why was it Jesus' blood that needed to be shed? Okay, first, why did Jesus need to shed his blood? Sometimes people will say to me, I don't get the cross. I don't understand. I mean, you say that Jesus was God incarnate. Well, why did he have to die in order for us to be forgiven? Why couldn't God just forgive us if he wanted to forgive us? And whenever somebody asks that, I always say, uh, tell me a time when you were deeply wounded, when somebody did something to you that was really unjust. Did you forgive them? And the person will say, like sometimes they say, no, uh-uh. I have not forgiven them. I will not forgive them. Sometimes they'll say, yeah, I forgave them. Either way, I was asked the same question. I said, why was it hard? Or why is it so hard to forgive? Why does it hurt? I mean, 
If you came up to me after the service and you said, I've been deeply wounded by somebody, they've hurt me, and I don't know what to do, and I say, that's easy. Forgive them. It doesn't cost, it's free. It doesn't cost you anything. You don't have to give them cash. You don't have to sell your car. You, all, you, all you have to do is forgive them. I find it very easy to forgive people. You'd look at me and just go, what? So why is it so hard to forgive people? And you know why. Because there is no forgiveness without suffering. There is no forgiveness without suffering. And you know that if you have ever tried to forgive somebody who has hurt you deeply. Because there are only two options when somebody hurts you deeply. And the one option is this. If you have suffered, you'll say, you know what? I've suffered. You have hurt me. Now you suffer. You can call it justice. You can call it retribution. You can call it whatever you want. But that's the option. I suffer, therefore you will suffer. The only other option is to say this. I have suffered. You're the one who made me suffer, but I forgive you. In which case, what you're saying is, I will suffer more because it hurts to forgive. The cross is what it looks like for God to forgive, for God to suffer. Because God has the same, he has the same two options with you. With all that you have done, all the sin that you have committed, he has two options. One is to make you pay, you suffer. And the other is to offer you forgiveness, in which case he suffers and he pays. That's why Jesus had to shed his blood. But the other question is, why did it need to be Jesus? You know, I, I told you that this story is one story. And this one story is about Jesus. He's the only point to the only story that matters. And Jesus came to do something in particular. It's Jesus said, I came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came to rescue. Oh, and I love stories of rescue. You probably do too. I actually am sure you do because I think there's something inside of every human heart that longs to feel like if I ever needed, if I was ever, ever in deep need, there's somebody who would care enough to come and rescue me and get me, save me. Right? I love uh, rescue movies. If there's a rescue in a movie, I will watch it. Right? The ones that I like the most is when the guy who's rescuing gets to the person he's going to rescue and he picks them up in his arms and the person who's getting picked up looks at the person who's rescuing him and says, I knew you'd come. I knew you'd come. And I love those stories because there's something about relationship, about hope, about saying, I, I know something about you and I knew that you would come for me. And the, the, the kind of movie that really gets to me is when it's like a little girl that needs to be rescued. And the guy comes and he scoops up this little girl. The little girl turns to him and says, oh, daddy, I knew you'd come. I knew you'd come. And I'm just going, as a dad of daughters, you had me at hello, right? <laughs> now, what if in that movie, he picks up the little girl, the little girl turns to him and says, daddy, oh, wait, you're not my daddy. And the guy says, yeah, your dad stayed back there. He sent me. You kind of go, well, that movie's not going to win any awards. This is the truth. There's something deep down in your heart that longs to feel like if you needed to be rescued, someone would come for you. And this is what is true. Jesus didn't send a prophet. Jesus didn't send an angel. Jesus didn't send Moses. Jesus didn't send a high priest. 
Jesus came for you. Jesus came to rescue you himself. So that when you look at him, you would say, you're the one. I knew you'd come. And it says that Jesus comes with his own blood. This is verse 12 where it says, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. The reason it was so important that Jesus uses his own blood is so that you wouldn't be misled, so that I wouldn't be misled, so I wouldn't think that somehow I was making a payment. But it was sheer grace that Jesus came to rescue me. And it's sheer grace that Jesus comes to rescue you. And that brings me to the third point, why that's great news. Why that's great news. Sacrifice is the proof of love. Sacrifice is the proof of love. And love is the most powerful change agent in the world. It is the only thing that will change you deep down. I told you that uh, I got married when I was 21. And it's that's fairly young. It also means I was fairly poor. Uh, when I met Karen, I was uh, in college and I was working a couple jobs. I was working in the towel cage, washing the sweaty stuff that from the athletes. And then I was also working in the dish room, washing dishes. And I was paying for a school as much as I could, but I was also saving money. And I was saving every dime that I had. And then I had fallen in love with Karen, and when I couldn't wait anymore, I took every bit of money I had, every dime, and I took it to a jeweler. And it's like I laid it out in front of him, and I said, give me the best ring that this will buy. And he gave me a ring, and then I went to Karen, and I got down on one knee, And I asked her to marry me. And I did so as I presented her with a ring. Because the ring was a a demonstration. It was a, a tangible thing that she could know that I loved her because I was willing to sacrifice for that ring. And I wanted to give it to her so that she'd put it on her finger. And then if anybody ever came to her and said, how do you know Joe loves you? She could say, All of his treasure, all that he had, he has sacrificed. And I wear it on my finger. That's how much he loves me. One of my favorite verses, a verse I have come to love is in Romans, where it says, but God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's a demonstration. Oh, a sacrifice is great. It's great that God cares so much about us that he will show us the depth of our brokenness, show us the depth of our need and our problem, and that he provides a way for healing. Jesus is greater because Jesus is the one who comes for you and sheds his blood for you so that you would not be misled, that it would just be by grace. And he comes himself for you. But why that's great news is that if you ever doubt the love of God or if someone comes to you and they say, how do you know that God loves you with all that's going on in your life? How do you know that God loves you? You can point to the cross and say, he 
his treasure, all that he is, all that he had, he sacrificed for me. That's how I know he loves me. So we fix our eyes on Jesus because Jesus is the greater sacrifice. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we uh, come to you, and uh, I am uh, amazed. Uh, When I read this about your sacrifice for us, it is amazing that you would care so much about us, even to let us know the depth of our problem, but more so to be the one that would shed your blood for us, sacrifice for us so that we might be healed, so we might be restored in relationship to God. Thank you. And now we get to take communion, which is a reminder even more. that. And I pray that you would use communion to drive it deep down inside of us so that your love will be the thing that changes us in the way we need to be changed. Thank you. Thanks for being a wonderful Savior. And we pray this in your name. Amen.